this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Welcome to the new episode four. This episode is a departure from the chronological ordering of the episodes. Unfortunately, when I recorded episode four, the sailor I was recording was in a sailboat at the time in 30 knot winds, and that was very noisy, and it was, I think, annoying to many of the listeners, and a lot of people just didn't listen to the episode. So rather than keeping an episode up with sound quality that I was not 100% happy with, I thought I would give you a new episode for... So in the early episodes, uh, episodes one through ten, let's say, I was still preparing for my summer trip to Cuba and Panama. So if you just listened to episodes one, two, and three, and you don't want any spoilers about how that trip goes, and you want to hear more about my audio logs, about the preparations of that trip without knowing what happens and you've not been following our Facebook page or Twitter feeds, then I would say skip this episode, come back to it later, uh, because there may be some spoilers about what happens in our 2016 season. Also, if you've not been following our YouTube channel, Slow Boat Sailing, then it would be, uh, you might get some surprises, you might get some early word of what happened uh, when we sailed summer of 2016. But if you have been subscribing to our Slow Boat Sailing channel, YouTube channel, then you already know uh, what happened in 2016, and there'll be no spoilers here. Also, you know, if you have already listened to, say, that episodes 20 through 25 or so, then you already, you won't find any spoilers in, in this episode. On, in episode five, we go back to my preparations in the spring of 2016, and we talk to Wally Moran, and then kind of go chronologically through that and the, the cruise in summer 2016. I recently got to tribute to a video of Annie Dykes on her Have Wind, Will Travel. So if you're up with the episodes, that's she's our episode 23 guest. And she made an awesome video, but it does contain some spoilers about my trip. Her video is called How to Get Your Wife to Go Cruising. And it's episode 75 on her Have Wind, Will Travel channel. And, you know, Annie said that the number one question that she gets from the people that she connects to on social media or through her newsletter is how do I get my wife to go cruising? And I think there are a lot of good tips about this kind of complicated question, whether you have a wife or a partner who is more reluctant to go cruising than you are. And I think it's a a nice portrayal with a lot of people contributing to the effort. So check that video out. And I'm happy to bring you the interview today with Nadine Slavinsky, the author of several books, including Pacific Crossing Notes, the subject 
of the interview today. I have your book, Pacific Crossing Notes, and I liked it. You know, there's really not a lot of recent stuff that's published uh, about cruising guides for French Polynesia, Marquesas, Galapagos. You know, when we went to Ecuador the, this last month, we relied on kind of a free guide, but... You know, I think they left a lot out. Like, uh, for instance, we had a dog, right? And they never mentioned anything about kind of dog policies. And I got to the airport trying to fly back home and, you know, realized I needed to have a vet visit within seven days and I had to get a permit from agriculture. And one of the boats was like soggy paws, right? So I think they had a dog aboard. So I, it, uh, there, there are some free guides out there. And... I might reach out to some of the sailors who have done those, uh, but I liked your book, and it's it's actually a lot more recent than the the paid guides. Uh, so I, I thought that you could maybe give me a little bit more recent information than even those cruising guide authors if they're still alive. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. But yeah, cruising guides. I think it's a little bit like charts, where it looks like a new chart, but then you go to the data and. And it was actually, uh, they took the soundings and such a century ago. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it can be a little bit like that. <laughs> when did you guys visit the South Pacific? We transited the Panama Canal from in January 2012. So much of our, our first season in the South Pacific was 2012. Um, when we went from Panama in January to... With many stops, we got to, eventually that season we went to New Zealand. We got to New Zealand, I want to say, yeah, in November. We spent six months in New Zealand, and in 2013 we continued around over the western part of the South Pacific to Australia. So we had two seasons, one season from Panama to New Zealand, and a second season from New Zealand to Australia, each, in each case kind of meandering around through different islands, not a direct line. You guys stopped at the Galapagos. Did you guys have an autographo? No, and that was a big... There was a huge question in my mind at, when we were in Panama, as, as I'm sure it is in your mind. And I kind of went back and forth. I went... I researched it too late when we were in Panama, and I discovered that you had to have at least... So again, my information goes back to 2012, so uh, things can change. But from what I experienced, you had to have the autographo before you left Panama. Um, it had to be completed, so you have to do everything by email. And some of the some of the agents in the Galapagos are good um, and speak English, and they uh, reply quickly. Others uh, are a little more spotty, so it's it was not very easy to get an autographo quickly. So people who want to get an autographo and stay longer in the Galapagos and make multiple stops really should do that, do their homework early. On the other hand, we eventually arrived with just the regular uh, transit visa, uh, transit um, permission that you get on arrival. It's much cheaper. It still gave us 21 days. Um, and at the time, when we left three weeks later, uh, I felt like I wish we had more time and more islands, of course. But you can travel around surprisingly well, even with that uh, three-week transit permit. 
your boat cannot move. It has to stay in the port that you check in in. But you can still travel. You can leave your boat either with a crew member aboard or having somebody like a friend in, in the, the next boat over watch it and take uh, like a ferry between islands. And we actually covered a lot of ground that way. So there is an alternative to the autographo for wanting, if you want to see, cover a lot of ground um, in the Galapagos. The, the one thing that I don't want to forget to say, which uh, was really interesting, we loved the Galapagos. And when we left after three weeks, it felt like it was too short. But when we arrived in, um, later to the Marquesas, we had some interesting uh, realizations, such as the Galapagos are fantastic at positioning themselves as Darwin's archipelago and these incredible islands with, where you can see evolutionary work, and it's absolutely true. However, it's not more true of the Galapagos than it is of other island groups. So, for example, you get to the Marquesas, and somebody made the comment, we were, we were swimming, snorkeling with manta rays in, in the Marquesas, and somebody said, we paid $100 per person to do this in the Galapagos. <laughs> so, <laughs> in hindsight, we thought, well, maybe the way we did it, we were quite satisfied with the way we did it. Um, and I think your average sailor, unless you're totally off the t- over-the-top uh, nature lover, and I do consider myself a huge nature lover, but unless you really need to see every turtle species for yourself and this kind of thing, there are plenty of booby birds all the way across the Pacific. There are plenty of fascinating islands that have the same kind of evolutionary um, differences between islands. It's just that the Galapagos are the, the most famous ones. I was wondering, what were the fees for just stopping in a port, and what port did you stop in? Yeah, so you want to, I think you need to find out, uh, maybe check with some more current sources. At the time that we went, um, they were letting people pay. First of all, you can pay $25 and just transit. I think they give you 48 hours. So that's the kind of the the quickie solution. It's more like if you want to get the three-week transit, it costs us $500. And that is based, but that's hard. Everybody has to calculate it for themselves. There's a formula that's partly boat size, partly crew size, partly tonnage. And for us, with two people and a child on a 35-foot sailboat that's six tons, that came out to $500 plus $100 that we paid to the agent. Okay. Yeah. So you did have to go through an agent. You just didn't get an autographo through an agent. Exactly. Everybody has to go through an agent, um, and the agents will find you. <laughs> you have no problem. I think we're, we're very we're wondering what this is going to be like. We went to Cristobal, kind of the first island, so to speak, the the easternmost, mm-hmm. and and they they come right out, and it's almost it's like kind of the boat boys in the Caribbean. They kind of rush out right. to get yeah. You can arrange for one ahead of time, but there's no need necessarily to do that. And just to compare those numbers, so we paid, as I said, about $500 for the three-week transit plus $100 for the agent. You would pay about that same $500 for an autografo, but what happens is you have to pay the agent much more to do the autografo. So the agent, instead of costing $100, would cost anywhere from $300 to $500 for the autografo. Someone that was in Galapagos this year... On their blog, they said the autograph will cost them eighteen hundred. So we just we have our boat in Salinas, Ecuador, and yep. the thing with Ecuador is that every port you stop in, you have to have an agent, and our agent fees ended up being, I think, five twenty for the three of us. 
I think there was another boat that came in, had the same agent. They were charged 500 but they only had two of them. And so each port is very expensive to stop in. You know, the other thing that about Ecuador when we went there this uh, this summer is that it was a kind of a big leap of faith, not just in the fact that there wasn't any recent cruising guides, uh, but the communications with the the Ecuadorans at the place we were going to, and including the agents, was not very good. That they our agent does not speak English, and nobody at the yacht club where we're at speaks English, and they didn't really respond to Spanish emails either. So, <laughs> so you know, I think one of the things that kind of makes me a bit nervous about going in without an autographo is that I'm. we tried to go into Esmeraldas, which is not a port of entry for yachts, but we had read that people had done that as a port of refuge after they'd had some problems. And we had, we had uh, number one, running out of fuel. And number two, uh, we had a broken uh, furling line. So we were we actually tacked toward Esmeraldas to kind of save fuel, and then our furling line broke. <laughs> and so that, you know, had us motoring in, and we were kicked out within 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and they had to inspect our furling line. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm a little hesitant going into getting the 21-day permit, given my experience in Esmeraldas, but maybe it's a, a little different in the Galapagos than it is there. I think the only thing that you can really put money on is that it varies. Um, and we talked to everybody we could about their Galapagos experience, and even people who used the same agent had different uh, stories to tell. Um, we had a very smooth process when we arrived. We I speak pretty passable Spanish, and that helped. And we had really good dealings with our agent once we were there. And there was an agent who wasn't our agent, but we got her phone number and she ended up organizing some other things for us, like inter-island travel within the Galapagos on the ferries. So we had a very smooth experience. And other people, even with the same agent, sometimes with different agents, had other things to report, like they only got 14 days, not 21 days. So it's, I think it's, you know, cruising's an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> you a- have to prepare yourself <laughs> from anything, I would bet. Yeah, I'm finding that the biggest adventure is with government officials. It's not a, with the sea. It's with, <laughs> it's with with the people, the representatives of the government that you end up meeting. So, anyways, that's yeah, quite too simple. But, and, and that's it, too. We had some great experiences with that because you get something like, you know, five five men will board. After the, the agent, five men uh, will come and board the boat. And, you know, one is from immigration, one is from uh, agriculture and so forth and so on. And one of them, we, we have a child on board, and child is a great ambassador. I think you have your daughter. And he, he has his son is the same age. We made a date to meet on the beach, and the kids could play together. And, oh, that's cool. Um, it, it, was, it was just lovely because also then, by chance, later we were taking one of these inter-island ferries, and, and the marineros come to check the boat, uh, to check that ferry if it's all you know up to spec. And who is it but my friend, the inspector? And he's like, oh, hi! And the whole ferry turns around and looks at me like, you know this guy? So we, we had... For all the negatives, there are a lot of positives. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I you know, my take is it's a, it's a must stop. I would definitely want to at least refuel in the Galapagos. So, uh, you know, even though I have a kind of a short window this summer, 
and a lot of miles to do, I, I think we'll stop no matter what. I, I'm skeptical that we would stay longer than 21 days, but it would be nice to be able to use your boat to go to different islands versus take the charters. Although I, I, I hear that you need it, you need a guide on uh, many of the islands anyways. Right. Now, even, this is the thing, so you can pay at, up to at least double for an autographo, which gives you, I think, two months or three months. Um, you can still only stop in four, one of four different ports. And depending on the autograph vote you get, you might still be confined to one of them. Um, <laughs> most people got a good autograph vote that they can go from port to port, but there's only four ports you can go to. Right. And each of those four ports, none of the major sites are right there in the port. So to really see the, like, the wonders of the Galapagos... Right. A sailboat is almost the worst way to do it. What we ended up doing is my son and I went from, we we arrived in the island of Cristobal and stayed, the boat remained there for the duration. We took a ferry, which I think it was a two-hour ferry maybe, to the main island of uh, Santa Cruz, where you can also anchor. We didn't want to anchor there because the anchorage we heard was worse. And looking at it, I'm glad we didn't anchor. It's not terrible, but... Wreck Bay on Cristobal was definitely the better anchorage. But Santa Cruz is the center of action, and we went to Santa Cruz, my son and I. We booked a last-minute spot on one of the Galapagos tours that people flying in from the mainland played three times as much for. And that took us to the places, to the islands and to ports where you're only allowed to go with a tour. 99% of Galapagos, you can only go with a tour. The exception to that is if you can get an autographo to go to the island of Isabella, Isabella is the biggest island, and it has a lot of interesting sites right on Isabella, whereas Santa Cruz and Cristobal, of course they have the interesting sites, but to see those, as I said, the wonders of the Galapagos, you would be able to see them on by anchoring in Isabella and booking day trips from the little village that's there. So you're still paying a lot of money for each separate tour, but you can each night come home to your boat and then do another day trip to see those turtles and the next day you can do a different day trip to see the volcano and those turtles and things like that i think i read that somewhere that they they, somebody was um saying that you really want to be able to go to isabella that it's the largest island it's the most populous they didn't make the the day trip argument but uh they made some other they thought it was the better place to be the one thing about Isabella is not the most populous. It is barely pop. It's, it's it's one of the less populated. Santa Cruz has, I think, twenty thousand people. It's the most populous. Okay, um, so Isabella is the biggest geographically. I should get out yes. my map. Okay. Yes, and the thing is, if you only go to Isabella, or you, that's your jumping off point if you're continuing across the Pacific, there are only very small shops with really, really the basics and internet is quite poor and I believe I need to check this well as I talk I think they have an ATM but Elizabeth is from the practical point of view of the cruiser who needs to stock up it's actually a poor option so you need to have maybe you have a big boat and you can stock up and you have no problem and they certainly have fresh vegetables and stuff that you can buy there not what you're going to buy at A&P or whatever supermarket you can, you can definitely get by there, but to stock up, you're better off in uh, Santa Cruz or in Cristobal. And even there, you're not getting giant supermarkets, 
and you have very limited choice, but you do quite well. But Isabella is really, it's a sleepy little place. Uh, this is this is talking to several different cruisers. It's a lovely, sleepy little place, and absolutely you can stop there before crossing the Pacific. But you have to know what you're getting into and make sure that you don't mind. You come with a lot of cash, first of all, like, a thousand, like hundreds of dollars in cash because you're also paying the agent in cash. Yeah. No credit cards. Yep. And I have to, as I said, I have to check about the ATM. Yeah, that's right. Is I, I think I've read there isn't a bank there that in the in all of the Galapagos, not in Isabel. Um, there are like to go. I had to go to a bank. I needed five hundred dollars. Oh, there um, is a bank. Okay, that's that's yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. There's banks on in Cristobal and Santa Cruz. Okay, and there's ATMs. But to get five hundred dollars, I had to go. I had to walk into the bank, and it was kind of like a big deal. Okay, and definitely on Isabella you're not you're not going to get a bank oh look they just right here there's a weekly farmers market no banks or ATMs on Isabella lots of penguins <laughs> okay awesome <laughs> yeah yeah I I know the other downer for me is that the timing of the year uh, or Sophie's school year means that we'd have to take her out of school to take her to the Galapagos and I'm not sure we want to do that so We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think that would be her just... favorite stop, personally, for this summer. Would be the Galapagos because she's she's very into animals, which is, I guess, not unusual. But yeah. <laughs> it would be fantastic. And I mean, you will learn. Any child will absorb and retain so much more after a week plus in the Galapagos than they would in a month of school. And it's not just the nature. There's there's history. There's geography, there's science. It's really interesting. We did a great homeschooling unit. I'm a teacher. It's easier for me. We did a great, great homeschooling unit based on the Galapagos, and it far surpassed. I I don't often throw out the unit that we were so-called supposed to teach if we were following our homeschool, our our home-based schools program, but Mm -hmm. there was no question in my mind, why, why would we learn about what is it, governments, I think, was what we were lined up to do. Um, and we threw that out the window and did it just a fantastic um, interdisciplinary unit on the Galapagos. So, Yeah, I guess uh, you've got a few books about homeschooling. What are they? I have Lesson Plans Ahoy, um, and that's a, a book for parents, sailing parents who are looking to homeschool, and it has some actual lesson, and actually, as it says, it has lesson plans in it, so you can follow step by step. That's the one for sailors. And, and then I have um, a Cruising the Caribbean with Kids, and I have Pacific Crossing Notes. Okay, so Cruising the Caribbean with Kids is more about your experiences? It's more a Cruising narrative? Cruising the Caribbean with Kids, the subtitle is Fun, Facts, and Educational Activities. And oh, it really I see. Is okay. Things. Okay, I so see. So it has our great places to go with kids just because okay. they have great beaches, nice people, interesting sights. Oh, that sounds and a cool. Separate section, yeah. So it's kind of um, lighter in that sense. And a separate section goes deeper into educational things, which you can attack in any level you want. But, you know, here's the Turtle Research Station. It makes a great field trip. And here are some resources you can use to follow up and make the most of that field trip and things like that. So it has both, like favorite places, from favorite places to snorkel to great beaches for the kids just to relax on, to nitty-gritty of, of learning experiences. Okay. So in the Galapagos, do they have a airport that goes in there? Where's the airport? Yeah. Is that in Cristobal? 
the airport is on a little island that's just off Santa Cruz, and it's a former. I think it was um, it was it's a leftover from World War Two. A lot of the airports in the Pacific are are old. Um, you know, they used to just be strips. So all the tourists come into there, and they're just uh, ferried over this very short gap to the island of Santa Cruz. Okay. Or, or and they get on their cruise boats on Santa Cruz. So you you can have crew fly in and out. You can fly in and out. But there's no there's not a single place in the in the Galapagos where you can tie up to a safe dock and leave your boat. So that it wouldn't be an option. It's a good place for people to come and go, but not the captain. <laughs> okay. I think I read that you're not allowed to put yourself at the mercy of the port captain for a temporary permit if you don't have an autographo at Isabella. Is that right or no? Right. From from my knowledge, you cannot just show up in Isabella. Um, so the, if you have nothing, you can arrive in either Santa Cruz or in Cristobal and get um, that three-week transit stop on the spot. You cannot get it on Isabella. The only way you can legally do Isabella is to get an autographo ahead of time that specifically states you have permission to go to Isabella. Okay, so you would probably say that if you don't have the autographo, you're probably better off going to Santa Cruz. You'd have to make I. You would have to make a careful decision whether you'd want to go to Santa Cruz because it has all the amenities and it's in the center of action. It's an easy place to book trips to the other islands. Um, like any other tourist, <laughs> or the better anchorage at Cristobal. And we chose uh, the better anchorage okay. at Cristobal okay. and took the ferry over to right. Santa Cruz. Neither anchorage is, even is Cristobal, that anchorage is not lovely or tremendously safe. There was a big boat that dragged its anchor through half half the anchorage while we were there. Luckily, most people were on the boats and they could do something about it. It's still a not the world's best anchorage, but it's much better than the anchorage in off Puerto Ayora on San, on Cristobal. Oh, sorry, on Santa Cruz. So it's a trade-off. If you, do you you know are you willing to do kind of be spend more time in the boat, tending the boat because you're worried about the the holding and the boats around <laughs> you? That's that's Santa Cruz. Okay, so did um, so did you have to have somebody on anchor watch a lot of times where you just went out? So we have a son, oh, son. Uh, so, yeah. uh, Nikki. Nikki. So we, we left the boat unattended for a day at a time, okay. um, completely unattended. And we once left it overnight with our friends on the next boat watching it. Our friends left for a week while mm-hmm. we watched their boat. Okay. And I would definitely, and, and that was that was fine. I would do that from Cristobal if you have friends that you can kind of trade duties with. Um, I wouldn't just say, oh, pack up the boat and we're off for four days and we just trust that nothing will happen. I would not do that. But it's it's probably possible from Cristobal to do a day trip and get back to the boat at night where it's not possible from Rec Bay? So Rec Bay is a port on Cristobal. This is all very confusing. Oh, I'm sorry. I I meant from Santa Cruz. You're right. So you're in Rec Bay and that's kind of far from everything. That's easternmost. That's really the first... Uh, island you get to when you're coming from Panama. But That's right. Santa Cruz is the one where there's most of the people and there's the kind of the bad anchorage. But you could also probably do day trips so you wouldn't have to leave the boat so so long. Exactly. Anyways. And okay. there's some lovely, no matter where you go, there are lovely day trips, um, some of which 
you can just go to, you can just walk um, and and go see what there is to see and do what there is to do. Both on Cristobal, you can go, on Cristobal, there's um, there's great hikes you can do. You can go to the turtle station. You can go uh, on a snorkeling day trip. Fantastic one to, to uh, kick a rock as hammerhead sharks and seals. And just about every second day, at least people came back with swimming, stories of swimming with hammerheads. Um, <laughs> That's a so story I don't want to have. <laughs> Fantastic. And we did that with our yeah. son, who okay. was right. seven, at the, maybe eight at the time. Santa Cruz has that as well. You can do day trips all over Santa Cruz to some really cool places. From Santa Cruz, you could also I possibly do a really, really, really rushed day trip to the first of the outer islands that are only accessible by tour. But ideally, if you had a crew of, let's say, four people, in my a person who's interested in really seeing the Galapagos, you might leave two people on the boat and two people go book themselves on a, like a four-day cruise, four- or five-day cruise. That's the one that I got for $500. And they're off doing that while the other two people are watching the boat. And then you swap. You can do that. We weren't comfortable leaving for that long and just asking our friends to watch the boat, but our friends did exactly that. They went off and did a cruise for five days, leaving their boat alone with their friends watching. Um, and you can decide that when you get there. You okay. can see how you like the anchorage. You can see the forecast. You can see what's available to you and say, you know, we've done these day trips. It's not enough. I want to go further. Or conversely, we've done the day trips, but I'm hungry to really get out to those places, those iconic uh, Galapagos locations that you can only get to with the longer range cruises. All right. So I'm looking at the map. So where is Wreck Bay? Where is that on uh, Cristobal? Is that on Wreck the... Bay? It's on the south west corner but okay. it's facing oh I okay there's a little it, okay yeah uh, it has a different name Puerto Basquiero uh, it has a long yeah, it's named yeah, after a Spanish yeah, guy yeah I see it yeah it's okay so you kind of want to be on the the west side is that right of these islands so would you want to be on the the west side of Isabel if you were on Isabel the only place you can get, you can anchor in Isabel is in the town of, uh, maybe the hamlet is more correct, um, is Villamil, which is on the southeast coast. It's protected by a reef. And people, it, it might, for many people, it's their first reef entrance. So you kind of snake in around the reef and mm-hmm. you're quite well protected. There's only space for, I don't know, half a dozen boats, I think is what one friend told me. Um, it's not a huge anchorage, but it doesn't need to be huge. Not that many people go there. Whereas these other, on um, in Puerto Ayora, that's the main port in Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. and in Rack Bay on Cristobal, you have dozens and dozens of boats, and there's space for dozens and dozens. Yeah, I think it'll be kind of slow when I'm there because I'm going to be there in May. So, kind of. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Could, could be a good thing. Maybe there. Maybe there'll be a lot of people going from. Ecuador mainland back and forth to the Galapagos. I don't know, uh, but it's definitely late in the the cruising season for the South Pacific. So then you sailed to the Marquesas. How did that go? Um, yeah. So then we went on to the Marquesas, and that was the single most amazing passage we have ever had. It was our longest passage. It was twenty eight days. It wasn't super fast, but it was um, the first. Two or three days was very nasty because um, around things get a little complicated or can be, I suppose. 
around the Galapagos where you have really vicious currents and it's cl- it's all on the equator so the winds are a little flaky and when we left it was just it, we didn't really have a choice to leave because our permit was up and we stayed to the very end and it wasn't a terrible forecast but off we went into squalls and not the, the current was against us and the first three days was you know one of these stories where you're tacking 100 miles to, to maybe make 10 good the first three days were kind of an endurance trial but then we got down just south enough i think to eight degrees south is where we eventually made our most of our crossing at i think and that was just except for the first three days it was just a dream it was just the world's it, you know it's what you read about it's what inspires people to go sailing and i've heard different stories from different people so it doesn't mean that everybody's going to do that that passage is going to have that amazing experience but when you do read about it many people do rave about that passage and it was just steady winds lovely experience quiet sailing you know you don't have to trim the sails kind of thing um, just really beautiful you know i think a lot of people talk about the cross swell did you have problems with the cross swell um not at all not so much a cross swell there's always you're going downwind once you get into trades there's the boat is always rolling and just back and forth and back and forth and that that's kind of tiring but um and we had that crossing the Atlantic previously and um, on some other passages. We, we bought a new sail for this the Pacific trip, um, okay. a parasailer, which is like a spinnaker that has a slot in it with a, with a like an airfoil that lifts it up. So it's like a spinnaker that flies itself. And among other amazing advantages, like we could not, this, I cannot rave about the sail enough. Um, it's a shape like a spinnaker. You run downwind with it. It's easy to set. You don't have to tend it constantly because it's got this this slot and the wing that keeps it up and keeps it full. It has the secondary effect of it actually, in, in a sense, lifts the boat and it cancels out a lot of the roll. So even though we were still rolling, it's nowhere near like the kind of roll that you're going to get if you go with the main out to one side and the Genoa out to the other. That's the worst. You just go back and forth. It's like a, like a seesaw. And this sail was amazing, and it really canceled that out for us. So did you have a double-head sail set up then? or? So we had, by day, we flew this parasailer, so this big spinnaker-like sail, nothing it. else, okay. just the parasailer. Okay. It's the one, if you, if so you it, look it was at the a, it was a, a pulled-out spinnaker. It's not pulled out. Not pulled it out. just flies itself. If okay. you look on the cover of Pacific Crossing Notes, you see... The bottom portion of it, at least, is on the cover. And, and okay. through some of my articles and such, you can look up Parasail in any case. In addition, we did that by day. Um, by night, we are just two adults keeping watch. And, and we really value, we're kind of conservative. We have a small child on board. We're not, we like adventure, but we don't need to test our limits constantly. And what we realize is over long passages, what's really critical is you have to get the off person, the off watch person really has to get their rest. And if you do that... Everything is smooth, and you're ready to take on anything. As soon as you get tired, when we crossed the Atlantic, we had a, the self-steering broke, and we had to hand steer. At that point, we had three of us, but it was just exhausting, and that's when you start making mistakes and this, this, things like this. So in the Pacific, we were kind of wary of that. It was just the two, two of us adults with our son, who could was not keeping watch at eight, eight years old. So at night, we did not fly the parasailer just because you, you it takes about 10 minutes to douse it by the time you get everything ready, and it takes two people. So what, at night, we flew the double head sail. Like, it's like a twizzle rig, but that was another purchase uh, we made for this trip. So I'll back up a little bit. We actually, 
in our four years of cruising, it was actually, we first did a one-year trip from Europe to the Caribbean and up to North America. And that was originally the dream. And it was going to be one-year trip and wow, we did it. And let's go back to real life. And at the end of that, we decided it wasn't enough. And although we did go back to real life and jobs, we did it with a specific purpose of, okay, in a few years, we're going to save and we're going to inform ourselves to cross the Pacific. So we went into the, the Pacific wiser. Then we went into the Atlantic. And because the sails were old and had to be changed, we had a three-year trip ahead of us to cross the Pacific. We needed a new Genoa anyway. So what we did is we went to the sailmaker, and he actually suggested to us he made a twin Genoa. So it's two light uh, Genoas sewn onto one tape. So you can sail it. You, you can sail the two sails, two flaps, right on top of each other. So, for example, it can be a starboard tack or port tack, and it acts just like a regular Genoa. But if you go dead downwind, you can split them. So you put the sheet, the port sheet around the port side and the starboard sheet around the starboard side. Normally on a Genoa, right, you'd only have you know one sheet or the other in action at a time. You split it open and it acts like a little, like a twizzle rig or like a little spinnaker. And the advantage of that is using the roller furler, one person from the cockpit could instantly roll it as small as they wanted. So by night, we went by that double head sail, that twin head sail, just for the ease of one person being able to douse it at the first sight of a squall. And we had very few squalls anyway. And at day, when, once, once it, the, there was light and the second watch woke up, the first thing we did was set the parasailer again, which gave us more speed, evened us out, um, slightly better mileage. And But by night, we went back to that twin Genoa. Okay. And it was amazing. I love that sale. <laughs> twin Genoa. So you had a double Genoa set up. And the second Genoa, I guess it, what was it, Hank on? How did it, how was it attached to anything, or was it? Two of them are both sewn. Imagine you took two Genoas and sewed them together at the front. Oh, okay. And then you put and them through the, the furler? Yeah, exactly. That runs up the furler, and you have both of them on, on they're together. Weird. So you can okay. split them from the back, and or you can you can we use them throughout other passages, both over on one side, one on top of the other, and it acts like a heavier Genoa. So you're whatever the wind's coming on the over the starboard side. There's this there's the Genoa over on port, acting as a normal Genoa would, and it would furls. You don't have to change anything to go to the split arrangement. Okay, so with the double Genoa, you could just furl it. You could furl yep. it in? You could furl Sweet. it to something oh, my goodness. tiny. Or you can put so, it So you whole... could furl the thing without leaving the cockpit? Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. I've never heard of that. You guys got to the Marquesas. Where did you stop in the Marquesas? We went to Hiva Oa. So there's two ports of entry. There's Hiva Oa on, on the island of Hiva Oa and on the island of Nuku Hiva. And Hiva Oa is the... It's not the first island you get to, but it's the first island you can check into. So we went there to check in. And as soon as we got the chance with good weather, we backtracked back to Fatuhiva, where everybody wants to go, where you're not supposed to land first because you can't make, you can't enter French Polynesia there. Some people do go to Fatuhiva. And I guess that the question is what what the consequences might be. Um, should I talk about that for a second, or sure? That, I'm, I'm I'm very interested in that point. So, Hiva Oa is 
is the is the first island you can check into. But another is something like forty miles back to the southwest is Fatuhiva, and Fatuhiva is within an island of jewels. It's what the crown jewel, I guess you say. It is it's an incredible island, but you're not allowed to. It's not a port of entry. When we went there, we were on several radio nets that kept in touch as we all crossed the Pacific. And the first boats to to arrive in the Marquesas, one or two tried going to Fatuhiva. And the gendarmes, the French police, do cruise through Anchorage every day. And they said, oh, 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 to, these, to the cruisers who stopped there without having checked in at Hiva or first, they said, you're going to be in trouble and there's a big fine you're going to have to pay. Okay. But... I'm not sure. This is the big, this is the burning question. Did they ever follow through with that threat once that boat really went to Hiva Oa and checked in properly? Did they actually follow through or was it just kind of a slap on the hand? And I well, don't have an answer a... to that. There were regular patrols of uh, Hanavave. Okay. Um, and they were not super friendly. Okay. Uh, the gendarmes were not super friendly. So I, it's still an open question. And I think the only answer to that is. The, you know, the first brave boat of the season to try it is going to have the answer for everybody else. Or it might be that the first boat gets away with it, but as more and more boats try to get away with it, they crack down. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> properly, in quotes, you know, properly went to Evo and checked in. And after, within a week, I want to say, the trade winds died down enough that we could Come sail back, yeah. against the wind too far to Hiva. Okay. Um, it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't like this terrible windward bash or anything like that. So we kind of like doing it without, you know, not you know, gnawing our fingers, our fingernails the whole time, wondering what the reception was going to be. Whatever you do, it's you, you have to go to Fatuhiva. It's a it's an amazing, amazing place. Now, where else did you stop in the, or what? What did you do in Fatuhiva? What did you do in Hiva Oa? What kind of thing. Yeah, um, Hiva Oa is a, is a good place. Just you know, you've crossed the you've crossed the biggest part of Pacific. Um, it's a good place to do you know to, to reprovision. Um, even though everything is very expensive and it's not a huge supermarket, it's still on the small side. But you can get things. You can order parts if you're really, really patient. Right. And you can tour the islands um, and see some really interesting um, like cult sites um, You know, with the tiki statues and kind of like in the jungle, some amazing sites. But however, Hiva Oa, as nice as it was, it was beautiful because it was our first island that we arrived in. You go to Fatuhiva and suddenly you're like, why do we spend all that time in Hiva Oa? Because Fatuhiva is just superlative everything, superlative scenery, just lovely people. You know, huge waterfalls, you hike, you can hike, a very short hike to the, from the Bay of Virgins Anchorage on Fatuhiva mm-hmm. up to the waterfalls, a half hour hike. There's a 10-mile hike across the island you can do. Um, there's a, almost anything is possible. What you have to do is just talk to the locals, and it helps to have some French. Uh, we arrange, but it's not necessary necessarily. We arrange, for example, we did this 10-mile hike on Fatuhiva from one port to the next, um, from the Bay of Virgin down to the next port, which I forget the name of, something with an O. And we just arranged with a local guy in a skiff to pick us up at the end of the day and trans because we didn't want to hike 10 miles back in one day. So after 28 days of not walking anywhere much, 10 miles was enough for us. So we did the hike and then Pierre picks us up uh, and, and shuttled us back on his, his little motorboat that he uses for fishing. So there's that. Um, and one of the most special things you can do anywhere in French Polynesia, particularly we really enjoyed in Fatuhiva, is um, the locals will come up to you offering you a dinner. 
and and you pay maybe $25 a head, maybe $30 a head, but they put on a feast, just a Polynesian traditional feast, and it will have everything, and it will have roast pig, and it will have chicken, and it has seafood, and it has, you know, all the, the, the tubers that they've collected on their own land, and, and you spend the night talking to them about, you know, you would eat this feast in their home, and they show you pictures, you know, family pictures, and they tell you all about the just life on the islands. And that is as much worth it for the dinner as for kind of like the, the personal experience of getting to, to meet people there. And you can do that just about on any island. Fatuhiva just, we had many, many offers. And we ended up getting together with three other crews. So there were about 10 people who went together to one dinner at this one family's house, which ended up really good because they were, it was one person who spoke really fluent French. And there was me with my okay French and one of the locals who could do okay English. So what people didn't get on the first try other people could translate one way or the other but that was a lovely experience now are people able to fly out of Hiva Oa where where did if people needed to get off of the Marquesas quickly where would they go yes there is an airport in Hiva Oa and in fact we had a friend fly in I think he, he went via Tahiti Tahiti I think is the air hub for the small islands of the Pacific and from Tahiti he got a flight to Hiva Oa you cannot fly to Fatuhiva. It's a really hard island to get to. I think there's like a resupply ship that goes there every once in a while. But it's Fatuhiva, you're sailing there or nothing kind of thing. Another highlight of the Marques is right next to Hiva Oa, just, just across a, a small channel in a very short day sail, is a small island of Tahuata. And that is where you can swim with the manta rays. Um, uh, there's a beautiful sandy beach bay which is a rarity. It's mostly uh, rocky beaches in the Marquesas. Mm-hmm. Beautiful sandy beach, great for kids, lots of sandcastle building there. And you snorkel in the bay right off your boat and the manta rays come through several times a day. And they, they're they not bothered by you at all and you can just swim. And I, was, I didn't want to disturb them and get too close to them. They came up to me. They brushed me as they came through and they're eating the giant mammals. You know, a mouth that's two foot across and it's wide open to suck up plankton and it's coming right for your eight-year-old child. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of picking up, but of course they're just there for the plankton and they just duck aside and they just kind of dance underwater doing these sweeps of the bay. And it's one of, one of the, the experiences that really sticks with us. Uh, and the name of that day. island was? Uh, that's on Tahuata. That's uh-huh. the island just south of Hiba Oa. All right, I need to get my map The name of that bay is something like Hanamanoa. It's a really long with lots of vowels. Hanamanoa Bay. It's the first bay you get to on the northwest side of Tahuata. And that's, um, uh, some people call it Manta Bay. And, and we did hear of people who went there and they were there for two, three days. They did not see the manta rays. But when we were there and we stayed there like 10 days, and we saw them at least every second day and very often many times a day. So that was a real highlight. Okay, I'm just getting out my map and I'm realizing that I was confusing Fatuhiva with Nukahiva. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So Nukahiva Nuka- is a port of entry. Correct. Ah. Nukahiva is the one that, for example, I have a friend who's a single hander. Uh, circumnavigator and his one and only stop in the Marquesas is Nukuhiva and they have a great port the main port is a port of entry it's a port of exit too 
It's a huge bay. It has shops. It's a lovely place. It's a lovely island. It's very practical. It has internet. It has everything you need. Not in huge. You won't have the giant, giant supermarkets, but for the Marquesas, it's the capital of the Marquesas. It's well, the unofficial capital. And for example, in Hiva, when we were in Hiva Oa, diesel was being rationed, so it was really hard to buy diesel. But when we got to Nuku Hiva, you can buy as much diesel as you wanted. So if anything is going to be available in Marquesas, it's going to be available in Nuku Hiva. Not that everything is available in right. Marquesas, but that is your your most practical port, as well as being a beautiful and well protect, reasonably well protected port. So Nuku Hiva is a great place, and it's a, everybody should stop there. But certainly these other islands, Fatu Hiva is is the garden island uh, the, the just the superlative island there's no place as beautiful as it in the entire Pacific in my opinion and a lot of people will tell you the same there's a couple of lesser known islands and they're stunning too it's it's almost it's just an what is it the embarrassment of riches right. it's just one is, is better than the other you just can't go wrong wherever you go what all places did you stop in the Marquesas? The one of the things about the Marquesas is they're not it's not very big. There's not many islands in the Marquesas. Exactly. And it's, the nice thing is they're laid out in a very logical pattern from um, you know, from go, you can go just following the wind from one to the other. You don't have to backtrack unless you're backtracking to Fatuhiva because it's the one all the way to the southeast because of the entry procedure. But otherwise you can kind of tick them all off in a nice little line without thinking, making a lot of either-or type of choices. So Hiva Oa, we checked in. We did some of the local sites. We paid, um, what was her name? Jean Marie. Marie took us on a tour of the island in her truck, and it was great because she just explained a lot of things to us. Tahuata, which I mentioned with the manta rays. Fatu Hiva with the hikes and just the waterfalls, incredible sights. And most people went from that leeward, you know, windward group to straight to Nukuhiva, very few people stop on the way at Wapu. Um, it's the island in between Hiva Oa and Nukuhiva. And Wapu has these stunning scenery. It's even stunning just to sail by, but to spend a day or two there and to go hiking has these pinnacle, pinnacle of like towering rocks that, that rise up very high. It's kind of like a sawtooth um, uh, ridge line, kind of. Um, they, they're very rolly bays. So we spent two or three days there and it was just rolling, rolling the whole time. So it's not a comfortable anchorage, but it was worth it to us to stop at Wapu and it was safe enough. The other island in the Marquesas is Wahuka and very, very few people go there because it's a very narrow bay with, which is very poorly protected. And the two boats we knew who went there not that they were they were very proud to have gone there because they were probably the only boats who went there, but it's known to be a terrible anchorage and possibly a dangerous anchorage. And they almost lost their dinghy. They almost crashed, I don't know how many times, trying to get on land. They had to make an emergency exit in the middle of the night between mm. the rocks. Um, most people don't go to Wahuka. And if you do get settled weather, that you can make a stop and go to Wahuka, wow, you're going to have an experience that 99% of the boats, including us, miss. Um, but the obvious choice then, the last final choice is Nukuhiva, which is the one where you can get everything, and it has a couple of amazing hikes. There's um, the Vaipo uh, waterfall. You, 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 you sail over to a place called Daniels Bay on the southwest coast. That's away from the main town. The only way in there, I think, is to sail in. And uh, it's, it's like a Garden of Eden, and you hike up a valley to, I think, the, the tallest waterfall in the Pacific. So that was another highlight, the waterfall hike in Nukuhiva in Daniels Bay. 
Okay, so it's it's not too bad if you visit Nukuleva. <laughs> yes, it's and if if Nukuleva is going to be your one stop, if you know some people cross the Pacific with fewer stops, um, or you have less time, Nukuleva really it has it all. It has beautiful scenery. It has the practicalities. It has these smaller um, anchorages you can go to and be um, not in the pack anymore. You can maybe not have it to yourself, but. Not, not have a big crowd there. So there's a lot of great places in Nukuhiva. There's a place called Anaho Bay on the northeast side of Nukuhiva, which is a reefy anchorage, and hardly anybody goes there, but it's absolutely lovely, I'm told. We did not go, but there are a couple of people I know who did go there. You go in through a reef, and you've just got this placid anchorage to yourself with the stunning island in front of you. So if you did make Nukuhiva your one-stop or say, okay, I'll, I'll rush through the other things, but we'll mostly spend time in Nukuhiva. You can certainly get an incredible Marquesas experience. I see this other island that's kind of north uh, west of Nukuhiva. It's Iaoa. Yeah, and that's no. a basic, at least for. There's nobody our, that lives there, probably. Yeah. You don't stop, you don't anchor there. You don't, you don't go. Um, okay. And maybe you could be the first. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple of you know a couple of young twenty year old brothers and a beat up catamaran who've tried it and lived to tell the tale. Okay, and that's fine. It's, it's not our style of cruising, so I, I I guess I can't speak to it personally. Okay, uh, so in terms of the populated islands, it's Hiva Oa, Fatu Hiva, yeah, Nuka Hiva. Is it Uahuka? Is that populated? Wahuka has a, has a small, is, they're all fairly sparsely populated, but Hiva Oa and Nuku Hiva actually have big towns, and like mm-hmm. maybe they'll have a, a, a stoplight, I'm not sure. And then Uapua uh, the has people in it too, a few people. Excuse me, which one? Uapua. Yeah, and there's Wapu, that's, I think Wapu. that's how they say Wapu. it. Wapu has Wapu. small okay. villages and dirt roads, and okay. very sleepy kind of place, just like Fatu Hiva has like two dirt roads, and it's just very very sleepy it's a kind of you know where time time stood still kind of feeling did and you stop at Moa uh, Mohotani mm, which is between no, unless, Hiva Oa the, and no, Fatu Hiva yeah okay and yeah. there's nobody there right there's maybe yes. it's a nature preserve there, there might be people temporarily temporarily there mm-hmm. um, because you know something you might go to harvest you know the coconuts or this kind of thing but okay. um I don't think so. I don't think it's a permanent population. And then what the about... Uh, oh, it looks like there's a lot of stuff on, uh, let's see, Tahuata? Is that what they yeah, call it? Yeah, Tahuata, there's several anchorages you can anchor. There's a little village on the, the south east, southwest side. There's the Manta Ray Bay, which is... Okay, that was what you were talking about. Okay, yeah. Thanks for listening. A great way to tell others about how much you like the podcast is to leave a ratings or review on iTunes. Also, tell your friends. You may want to check out my book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, A Funny Look at Sailing in Small Boats, or my book, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time which is also available as an audio album on iTunes. You can connect on Facebook or Twitter. The hand, the Facebook, it's uh, slash slowboatsailing. On Twitter, it's at slowboatsailing. And the YouTube channel is slowboatsailing.
which has our V-logs of the 2016 season. If you want to find out more about Nadine Slavinsky's books, go to our show notes blog, and you can get there by going to slowboatsailing.com and going to the blog tab there. Another way you can get there is to go to iTunes and next to the show, click the three dots and click view full description and you can actually access the links in the show notes. Our next episode is episode five with Wally Moran. And while the the sound quality on that episode is not great, uh, Wally Moran is a co-author of the Cuba Bound Cruising Guide put out by the Waterway Guide. Uh, It's a great cruising guide for anybody thinking about going to the north coast of Cuba. And Wally has a lot of great advice for people planning to go to Cuba. So I'm happy to bring that to you. We also have another Cuba cruising guide author in episode 17 with Cheryl Barr. Goodbye for now. This is Linus Wilson. Have some fun on the water. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.